0: Friends, please remain risen as we receive these words from the Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter beginning in the 31st verse. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God.
1: Now I invite all of us to pray together. Spirit of the living God, you are our refuge in this and every generation. Come and shelter us now. Send your spirit to move among us, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. What are you afraid of? It is a powerful question. Some answers that we would give might be general, perennial kinds of fears, like, I'm afraid of failure, or as we've heard from Pastor Casey, I'm afraid of turtles. <laughs> there are other times when, in a particular situation of anxiety or hesitation, I ask myself the question, what are you afraid of, Ginger? Ginger? And I ask that question often in conversation with folks as we talk together about potential new paths or big decisions. What are you afraid of? Answers often include things like fear of pain or loss, death, humiliation, of hurting others or being hurt ourselves. I imagine you might have others that come to your mind. From all that I've learned through study, experience, and observation, it seems that fear is at the core of so much human motivation. And so it's no small thing to be able to identify what the root fear is for you in any moment. Because when you can name it, you begin to have at least some agency to consider what you're going to do with that fear. Or perhaps another question, what will you allow that fear to do to you? We know well enough that as the hymn says, fears and doubts too long have bound us. Our fear can keep us from moving, from choosing, from stepping out of bondage and into liberation. Our fear can keep us from risking anything and therefore can keep us from receiving so many things. We yearn to feel safe, and we want to do what we think will keep us or our loved ones Safe. And that's one reason I always get caught by the gospel text for today. Jesus laments over Jerusalem, saying, How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Why would people, why would we be unwilling to be gathered under the wings of God? Doesn't that seem like a safe place? What is it that keeps us from running for our lives into the arms of God's care? Well, in the gospel text, it it makes sense that the power players in Jerusalem would not cozy up to Jesus since he challenged the system of domination through which they received their power. But why would the average person reject Jesus? Jerusalem and its temple were the center and the source of Jewish identity at that time perhaps without even realizing it, the people in Jerusalem had made of Jerusalem and the temple and some of their certain interpretations of messianic prophecies. Maybe they had made all of that into a kind of idol, taking the place of the living God as the center of their hope and life. But you see, Jesus challenges that. Jesus was a different kind of Messiah than the one expected. And Jesus pushed against old boundaries and practices, even signaling that God's grace and favor was shared and was for both Gentile and Jew. Jesus spoke of a new temple and pointed to himself, and he celebrated a new Passover and pointed to his own death as the means by which. People could experience a new exodus, a new freedom. But the people couldn't receive that good news. They couldn't perceive the new thing that God was doing in Jesus. It seems perhaps that they were caught in the old understanding, the old expectation, caught in the way that they thought things should be or were supposed to be. Perhaps they were afraid of losing their cherished understandings and expectations. Perhaps they were afraid of losing their identity, what they considered their safety. Perhaps they were afraid that they'd been wrong somehow. Or perhaps they were just afraid to change. Folks might also have rejected Jesus because they had heard the word on the street and they knew that Jesus was a marked man in danger of being killed by the state for being who he was and saying what he said and doing what he did. Maybe people rejected Jesus because they thought that his issues and the people that he was speaking to and about really had nothing to do with them. Or maybe people rejected Jesus because they were afraid that they would be identified with Jesus, that being too close to Jesus might put them and their families in danger. Both fear of loss, fear of change, fear of danger and harm, all of those things are part of our current reality in a variety of ways. In the midst of significant and rapid shifts, both cultural and environmental, and all of this even before COVID, changes that have been driven by all sorts of factors, there emerges a deep-seated sense of instability that hums under and around everything and every one. Change and instability unsettles us, consciously or unconsciously. And it triggers our sense of vulnerability and our fear of loss. And when malevolent forces play upon the anxieties and the fears that get stirred by human vulnerability, and those malevolent forces start chanting the old tribal and racist tropes for whatever selfish purposes, the violence and the backlash that trail in the wake of those things should not come as a surprise. And of course, violence and backlash create more fear and more lack of safety for siblings who already live each day with a target on their backs simply for being who they are. And I've heard some people say that their issue, whoever they are, has nothing to do with me. I've heard folks grapple with the vitriol that results if they do speak up for themselves or for siblings who are marginalized, hurt, or disenfranchised. It's a constant negotiation for many to figure out what risks to take, if any, in relationship or in the public square. And I've been told stories of colleagues in other parts of the country moving their families to a safe place out of fear of retaliation because they took a public stance and action for racial equity and justice. That was not in 1964, that was in 2021. It can be dangerous to practice solidarity. Fear of loss and change, fear of harm and putting yourself or your loved ones in danger, these things are part of our reality, just as I imagine they were for the people of Jerusalem in Jesus' time. And in this hour, turbulent time in history, one question for us as people of faith is this. Where do we locate ourselves and with whom? What are we afraid of? What will we let that fear do to us? When the Pharisees warn of Herod's murderous intentions against him, Jesus did not give in to the enemy's fear tactics, did not allow fear to hold him hostage. Jesus didn't allow fear to trick him into believing that he could move the hearts and the minds of Herod and other enemies by playing on their terms instead of God's term. Jesus entrusted his life to God's love and power. That gave him the freedom to continue moving, to do what he was called by God to do. What set Jesus free from his fear? Love, the love of God for him and the loving intention of God for the whole world to which Jesus had committed his life. Jesus risked his own safety for the good, not of himself, but for the good of the whole. Jesus risked himself not just for his tribe, but for the whole, not just for his family, but for the whole. Jesus risked himself out of love For others, for the sake of God's loving kingdom vision. This past Monday was the 57th anniversary of what is known in the United States as Bloody Sunday. That fateful day when, in response to the voter suppression of black citizens and the murder by state troopers of Jimmy Lee Jackson, an African-American protester in that work, it was the day that more than 600 persons responded to that through peaceful protest marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. They were met with brutal violence from state troopers. The late, great U.S. Congressman John Lewis suffered a fractured skull on that day as he led the march. A few days later, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. held a prayer session on the bridge together with at least 2,500 other people who had responded to King's call to come and to complete the planned march. And that evening, several white clergy who had come at Dr. King's call were attacked by a group of local white men. One of those attacked, the Reverend James Reeb, died of his injuries. Of course, because Reverend Reeb was white, his death was more broadly reported than the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson a few weeks earlier though Reverend Reeb's death did bring national attention to the voting rights struggle. That death also moved President Lyndon B. Johnson to call a special session of Congress where he urged legislators to pass the Voting Rights Act. I was reminded of this last piece of the history this past week by Bernice King, Dr. King's daughter, who shared that piece of the story on Twitter. And all of the names that I've just mentioned, Jimmy Lee, John, Martin, James, Bernice, and even Lyndon, are all examples of those who took and who take personal risks for the cause of right, for the cause of justice, out of love for their neighbor. To love God with all we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves is the heart of it all. Love is what fueled Jesus. Love is what has fueled all those through the ages who have risked themselves for love and justice. That same love can be our fuel. Somewhere I saw Stanley Hauerwas quoted as saying, it's hard to remember that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) And at the same time, the faint of heart, those who are fearful or lack courage, are among those most in need of Jesus because in Jesus, we meet the grace, the strength, the friendship, and the perfect love of God. And as it is written, perfect love does what? It casts out fear. If God loves us, what do we have to fear? We can be afraid of things and are. But as we allow ourselves to comprehend the power of God's steadfast love, that love will set us free from so much that binds us. Our fears of failure, our fears of being hurt, our fears of being overwhelmed, our fears of loss or of making a fool of ourselves or of living a meaningless life, and even when it comes down to it, our fear of death. If God is for us, if God loves us, what shall we fear? In Jesus, we see God's love fuel courage to face the worst that the world can do, strength to love even enemies, and triumph over death itself. God's love is indeed powerful, and it can set us free to live more fully and with greater courage. But as one of my spiritual advisors often reminds me, there is no safety in being free. There's no safety in being free. To follow Jesus means that personal safety is not our first priority. Instead, the priority is receiving and sharing the love of God made real. The priority is to become more like Christ. That will mean facing our personal fears and the obstacles to living with an open heart and an open mind. It will mean overcoming our inner anxieties about living with open hands and open arms. So much in human experience and in the brokenness of human relationship teaches us to be guarded and afraid, to clutch and to seek control and defense, to learn how to be yourself and to share yourself generously, to risk your significance, is part of the curriculum for Christian discipleship. And as you continue on the journey of this love-fueled freedom, Christ's call will find expression in your life in some form or fashion. Throughout the Bible, those called to follow God are often afraid and painfully aware of their frailties and their shortcomings. It is okay to be honest about your fear. We wouldn't be human if we didn't feel the fear that rises up when threatened with physical harm or the loss of things that we hold dear. Even Jesus prayed for that cup of suffering to be passed from him. But those who engage in sacred resistance, what we call sacred resistance, seeking to embody the love of God and to become more like Christ, we will put ourselves in the places of risk and danger for the sake of the call of love and peace and justice. One of the clarifying questions I often ask myself, what is the story of my life that I would be proud for others to tell? What do I want people to say about me when I'm gone? And so I ask myself today, what am I giving up? How am I willing to be made uncomfortable? What risks am I willing to take to make my love of neighbor real in the world? In 1965, would I have traveled to Selma to march with the Student Nonviolence Coordinating Committee? In 33 of the Common Era, would I have run into the shadow of the enfolding wings of Jesus' love as he lamented over Jerusalem? How might you answer those questions for yourselves? What will we do with our fear? Promise is that when we bring our fear to God, it will always be met with love, embraced and enfolding like a mother hen gathering the chicks under her wings. Our fear will always be met. With love, with God's love. And that love is stronger than anything else. That love gives us courage. That love sets us free. That love wins. The Lord of love is the stronghold, the refuge of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid?